Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are in a message series right now called Bulletproof. You can see it right there, Bulletproof Identity, Discovering Our Identity in His. And this, this has been so far for me, it's just been a great series because one of the things that, that I've started to understand is, is there are certain things in the Bible that as you study them, and the more you study them, the more you realize uh, you're never going to completely understand them. And one of the things is when you start to look at God. And uh, one of the quotes that, that just has stuck with me that I heard once is that a God that I can completely understand is not worthy of my praise. And, and as you think about that, what that means is in our life, there's this tension of, of getting to know God and, 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 and learning about him and discovering him and, and having his word and learning more and more from his word as you continue to study it. And, and not only that, then once you find more about God, then you find what it means for your life. And that's what this series is about. And what we're doing is we're looking at a number of I am statements of Jesus. Last week it was, I am the living bread from heaven. And we looked at what does that mean and what does it mean for my life? And today we're going to look at Jesus as he says he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And we're going to see again what that means and then the implications that it has for my life and your life as well. Now in Bulletproof Identity, when we are discovering our identity in his this discovering, when you discover things, there's searching involved and, and, and searching and looking for things. And in the past couple of weeks, maybe you are sick of seeing these pictures or sick about hearing about it. But we know that there's this plane, this Malaysian Flight 370, that we still don't know where it is. And, and so what has happened is... is we have sent ships from a number of different countries, and I guess Australia is leading the charge now on, on trying to find it. And, and as we look at that, maybe like me, you have been looking at the news and, and hearing different theories on what might have happened and why they're, they're not able to find it. And, and so it's anything from a hijacking to perhaps the pilot being involved and, and wanting to help make this plane disappear. Others say that it, it could have possibly exploded in flight. Uh, then there are some that are a little more hard to, to swallow, like we finally come up with a cloaking device. Then now that this, this plane was cloaked, and now it was flown from there to North Korea, and now North Korea knows that it can do that without anyone knowing when planes leave and, and, and come back from their country. Another one I heard is that it might be an elaborate life insurance scheme for someone on the plane. Seriously? Anyways, so there's all these question marks, right? And, and there's something about that that obviously the news outlets, the media feel like it's drawing people in. And so what has happened is they've narrowed, I, I love it when they say they've narrowed the search area. And, and the search area now, as I understand it, is roughly the size of Texas. 
Think about that. Roughly the size of Texas. That's how big of an area they have narrowed it down to. And so it's not just the ships, but it's also this air power. So, so they have these, these helicopters that are, are flying out from the ships, right? And, and, and as they go uh, through the air, they're able to cover more ground. And not only that, but then we also know that they've sent uh, aircraft over there. That aircraft seem to uh, cover more area. They're, they're using radar and satellites. So when you think about this, about all this technology that we have, that some of the, this is still just guys looking with binoculars out of an airplane window. Are you kidding me? Or looking straight down uh, from the landing gear uh, so that they can maybe get a glimpse of of part of a plane. And, and as we're thinking about this, this message for today, this idea of searching, one of the things that, that made me realize is when it says that Jesus is the light, imagine what it's like trying to search for this missing plane in the dark. So I Googled it, and this is what I got. Seriously, this was Google for looking for the Flight 370 at night. And this was the picture that they had. And, and what we realize is that if they are going to look for a visual search, they are limited. They are limited by the light of day. And, and this is so important for us because we understand that, that that's the case when looking at for this plane, which is like looking for a needle in a haystack. But what's even harder than looking for a needle in a haystack is looking for a needle in a haystack at night or, or in the dark. And the, the reason why I bring it up is because as Jesus says that he is the light of the world, understand that there are people who are here today, and I'm guessing you're one of them who's searching. And what you're searching for is, is God. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're searching for happiness Maybe you're searching for relief. Maybe you're searching for hope. And I'm telling you that if you are searching for it without Jesus, you are not going to find it. That you have just as good a a chance of finding that airplane on your own at night in the ocean. You have a better chance of finding that plane that it is not going to happen. And so we are going to see how important it is for us that, that Jesus is the light of the world. And, and this concept that he's the light of the world and what it means for us in our search for God. Now, as we look at this message, one of the things that, that I've said before, and, and I want to make sure that you kind of think this way, and, and that is to understand that God has made the physical world to help us understand the spiritual world. God has made the physical world, the, mere, the, the spiritual world, so that we can understand it better. And so what I mean by that is this. God didn't uh, one day, Jesus, when he was in his ministry, didn't one day realize, holy cow, you know what? I, I, it just occurred to me that the word of God is kind of like a guy planting seed. And, and it just like seed is planted and it grows up, God's word is the same way. Wow, that's weird. 
But no, God before creation made it that way. And in the same way, God made the physical world and the physical properties of light and darkness so that we could understand him better. And so when God created the world, what is the first thing he made? And God said, let there be light. And from the beginning, from the very first thing he created, what he was doing is giving us a physical example, physical manifestation of a spiritual truth. And so today what we are going to do is we're going to take time to understand light and darkness in a physical way so that we can understand it in a spiritual way even better. As I was doing some research, one of the things that I did is is something that I, I realized I hadn't done in a long time. And I'll ask you, when is the last time you have been in total darkness? For me, I I think it was somewhere around 2003 in Rushmore Cave in South Dakota. And and what happened is, I'm not talking darkness in your bedroom at night because you got the alarm clock on, you have the nightlight in the bathroom, you have you have the the this last week the um, moon was coming through, and and so you can see that it's it's not like perfectly light, but it's not totally dark either. I'm talking darkness where you're standing in a room and you're going like this, and you cannot tell that your your hand is even in front of your face, and so. Where I had to go was in my closet, shut the closet, take towels, put it down by the, so by the crack, and this was at night. And even then, there was just a little bit, I couldn't get total darkness like I had been in before. Because when you are in total darkness, it is a weird, eerie feeling. And, and, and this is, using this concept of darkness is what Isaiah used with the children of Israel. If you look at the first verse that we have before us on your sermon notes. He says, So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way, like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if we were, it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. And so, again, as we look at this, and I would like you just to think of this in a physical way, the the fill-ins. And that is, first of all, that when I am in the darkness, I am uninformed. We use that expression, don't we? That, hey, I was in the dark on this one. That means that nobody ever told me. I'm always the last to know. And so... What that means is that it takes us to what it's like, again, in the dark. When I'm in the dark... I can't see what's going on, so I'm uninformed. Next is, when I'm in the dark, I am vulnerable. Am I the only one here who, when I was a kid, we we played these night games and ghost in the graveyard or whatever it was as you're going around uh, with flashlights and it's late at night and, and we like that because it was the cover of darkness. But what happens is someone can be right next to you in the dark, and that makes you vulnerable. The next one is you are limited when you are in the dark. 
And what I was thinking about with this is I was thinking about driving with headlights on and, and that you are limited. You have the, the low beams and then you have the high beams. And, and, and finally, then there's something, there's a limit right outside of there that you can't see anymore, that if it was perfectly light out, you would be able to see not only that, but for miles. The next one is that when I am in the dark, I am disoriented. told you I really haven't been in complete darkness for a while. But, but some nights uh, when I get out of bed, it's, it might as well be. On those nights where maybe I walk from a brighter room to a, a room where the lights are off, and I'm walking and trying to, to find a light switch, and I don't realize that the door was open partially, and then you, as I'm going like this for it, uh, run into it. Uh, yeah. Disoriented, so you don't know which way exactly that you need to turn. And so you, you go back and forth. And what you're looking for when you're disoriented is you're looking for a light that you recognize that will tell you where you're at. And then the next one is one really that comes from the passage is that when we are in the dark, we are searching, grasping. And the word that is used in, in the reading is groping, that you are, you are just looking for anything, that you're, you're grasping on, anything you can hold on to, that, that you hold on so tightly so that you get some sort of firm foundation or, or some type of an idea of where you are at. But then the last one, I'm switching gears a little bit, and that is when I am in darkness... I am hard to see. And now what happens is, is what happens when I'm used to being in darkness. And now I start to use darkness to my advantage because I realize others are in the dark. And because others are in the dark just like me, they're uninformed, they're vulnerable, they're limited, they're disoriented, they're searching and grasping, and I'm going to use that to my advantage as I get more and more comfortable in the dark and I'm going to use that for my gain. You have all these listed. And, and so from there, we're going to go to the next reading. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so what God, again, has done is he's taken a physical thing that we do understand, and that is darkness and light, and especially darkness and living in darkness. And he tells us that when we are living without him, when people live without God, it is the same thing except in a spiritual way. And so I'm spiritually uninformed. I don't know things about God. I need someone to tell me. I'm vulnerable. I'm vulnerable from the attacks of Satan. I'm limited. Limited on how far I can go in my life. And, and, and there are people who can't see past this world. They can't see to the future. They can't see definitely not to eternity where God is. When I walk in spiritual darkness, I am disoriented. That I don't know which way to turn. And so there are people spiritually who are searching, grasping, groping for any truth, and they turn anywhere where they can find it. And then as a result, 
There are also people who are hard to see. They are people who are used to living in the darkness, who expose other people's weakness and use that to their gain. They are false teachers. They are those who use the darkness and and use the cover of spiritual darkness for their own good. That was the world into which Jesus came. That these people had no identity. They were hurting and they were lost. And so you would think as people who want to be in the light, that light is something we would like. But yet, John 3, verse 19 and 20 says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Fear that their deeds will be exposed. At this time, what I need to do is I need you to give you a broader context of John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 is where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But there's a bigger context. And the context is the context of Jesus being in the temple courts. He had spent two years of his ministry up in the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. And and basically what, what was going on was the people in Jerusalem didn't care all that much because Jesus was way far away from Jerusalem, and it wasn't causing that big of a problem. But then later in his ministry, Jesus started coming to Jerusalem. And it was at that time when Jesus was preaching literally in their backyard, in the temple courts, that they started to take notice and they were jealous of him and they wanted to bring him down. And a number of different times they they tried to do that with questions that would trap Jesus. John chapter 8 starts with one of those situations. And it was one where as Jesus in, is in the temple courts, they, they marched this woman in who was found guilty of adultery. We don't know the, the whole story with it. We don't know where the guy was. You know, how could you find her guilty of adultery without a guy there who should be stoned too? But they just march her in there. And they say she was found guilty of adultery. And so what are we going to do? Should we stone her? And as they ask Jesus the question, he, he ignores them and starts drawing in the sand. And they said, no, you're going to answer this question because they knew they had him. And, and the reason why is if he said, yes, stone her, he would be in trouble with the Roman government who had to give an approval for the stoning. He would show himself as not being very loving and caring about people. But on the other hand, if he said, no, don't stone her, then he was standing in opposition to the law of Moses. Moses said she should be stoned, therefore she has to be. And if you don't say that you're not in agreement with Moses, Moses, therefore you shouldn't be here in the temple courts. And that is when, when Jesus told them, hopefully a line that you know, and that is, let you who are without sin, whichever one of you is without sin, Throw the first stone. And then you heard the thud of rocks hitting the ground. First of all, we're told from from the older men who who were very versed in their own sin and knew their shortcomings, and then finally to the younger men who dropped. And finally, 
Jesus was left there alone with the woman. And, and even this sometimes we miss because, remember, Jesus was without sin. And so if there was going to be anyone to start the throwing of the stones, it would have been him. But he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Right after that is when John 8 verse 13, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light is coming on to expose the darkness. That the the Pharisees said this, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And so what they were unhappy about is Jesus being the light of the world. They were not happy with him. They were not happy with what he was saying. And the reason why is that those who are in the dark hate the light because it exposes them. Okay, you ready for the hard part of the message? Because this is the one. This is it. This is, the, this is the part of Jesus being the light that is the hardest part and a part that is going to challenge you. And the reason why is because I'm guessing everyone in this room has been, through their family or someone they know, adultery has affected your family in one way or the other. And so in this situation, you have either been the adulterous woman or you have been the, the, okay, I'll call it the self-righteous Pharisee who wants rocks thrown and wants to see the person who hurt you or your family or your loved one, you want to see them punished big time. And when Jesus came with his light, what he exposed about the Pharisees is this. Is, is basically what they were, he, Jesus was saying to them is, you are no better than she is. And that's something they couldn't handle. How dare you say you are no better than I'm no better than, than she is? Yes, I am, because she did this, which is something Moses said should be stoned, and that is what I would like to see. And the whole thing about the, the stoning, this is the interesting part, is that if you brought the charge of adultery, usually the person who is the one to throw the first stone was the one who brought the charge. And maybe as you look at that, if you have had a spouse who has been unfaithful to you, if you have been in a messy divorce, that is exactly what you would love to do. That you would just love to take a stone and bash them in the head because they have caused you so much pain and we kind of chuckle about it, but we, maybe it's because it's so true. It's either I'm going to laugh about it or cry about it. Now you can see why when Jesus came and said he was the light of the world, you would think that's a great idea, but maybe we like living in the darkness, or at least in the shadows, more than we would like to admit. Because when I stand over here, it's a lot harder to see my imperfections, isn't it? Because I'm in the darkness, I'm in the shadows, not in total dark, but dark enough where you can't see some of the things that are wrong with me that you can see when I'm standing right here in a spotlight. And that is what Jesus does with us with his law. It's what Jonathan did earlier in the service when he said, we have some things here to confess. 
when we've sinned against God in our thoughts and our words and our actions, what he's saying is you're exposed. That your sin puts you on an equal playing field with everyone else who has ever sinned. But he goes on. John 1 verse 4 and 5 said, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That translation of overcome it, some translations say the darkness has not understood it. Some say the darkness has not overcome it. But either way, as you look at Jesus as the light, both are true. The darkness does not envelop the light. The light scatters the darkness. But yet we also don't understand it without the work of the Holy Spirit. So we go farther, and this is in John chapter 8, where finally we get to our, our verse for the day, and that is, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow me. Not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in your blank, you can write, Jesus is the light that brings Life. And now is the time when they went from wanting to stone the woman to wanting to stone Jesus. And this is why. Again, part of the bigger context of this story is that Jesus was at Jerusalem for a reason. And why he was there was for the Feast of Tabernacles, or also called the Feast of Tents. And so what would happen during this, this feast is everyone would move outside of their home into a tent in their yard. And, and so the way that they would do this, some of them would build a, a lean-to, whatever, but either way, no one lived in their homes. And the reason why is because it was a time when they were supposed to remember the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and, and so they would do that for a week. And the kids are saying, yeah, that'd be awesome. We should do that. Uh, go sleep in the yard in the tent for a while. So anyways, they were, they were being reminded of that by living out in these tents. And during that time when, when they were in those tents, do you know how the children of Israel were led by Moses and by God? By something called the glory of the Lord. And it was a pillar of cloud by day. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. A pillar of light. And now during the Feast of Tabernacles, when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, you get a bigger understanding of what he was saying. He is saying, I am the glory of the Lord. I am the one who has sent. See, that, that light took you to the promised land. I am here to take you to the ultimate promised land. I am, I am the light, not that just brought light in the desert for a period of time, but I am the light of the entire world. And when you walk in me, when you follow me, you will not live in darkness that I am going to bring you the light, the light of life, that I am taking you out of this world to be with the Father in heaven. And when the people would have heard this, the Pharisees especially, they would have gone wild. 
Because they would have known exactly what he was saying. And it's important that you know as well. That when Jesus is saying he is the light of the world, he is saying that he is God. And he is the way to the Father. And he is the only way for us to have life not only in this world, but in the one to come. He goes on. John 8, verse 15 and 16. After they say, who are you to to be telling us these things? He says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And so what, again, Jesus is saying here is equating himself with the Father. And he's also saying that the words that I'm saying, you, you don't like the testimony. You, you want to see more people saying that I am who I say I am. Why don't you look at the truth of them? Why don't you simply look at what I am saying Look at the things that I have been doing, what I have been teaching on sin and grace and forgiveness and the way to the Father, and judging on the basis of the Old Testament and the witnesses that have been there for a thousand years. Jesus is the light that brings truth. And so as the light is on, we are able to to see those things clearly, to see what God has to say. This makes me think of, of, I got issues with my eyes that are not anything that any other 47-year-old doesn't have. But, but, but as I look at them, sometimes I use my cheaters. And sometimes I lose my cheaters. I have like five pair of them. And, and so what happens is this is, usually it's on Friday mornings when Jonathan and I do devotion together over at his house. And we're sitting in his living room. And, and as I'm trying to read Every once in a while, he notices, and he walks over, and he turns the light on in the room. And just having that light on helps me to see the clearness of those words. And and that is what it is when God comes and says that he is the truth. He turns the light on and helps us see clearly the matters that we face in life. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. So, Jesus is the light of the world. We go then to what that means for my life. Psalm 119, verse 105. It's a passage I I think I first learned when I was in kindergarten. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. That that as we go, that, that Jesus is the light of the world, but he's also my personal light device. That as I go around, like today we would say that he is a flashlight. That that I'm able to go in and as wherever I am, he helps me see. And John, or Matthew five fourteen to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so we go from Jesus being the light of the world to Jesus making me a light as well. And now we look at this together, we're able to wrap it up. So, so what is this, as we look at Jesus and all of this teaching, what am I able to go home with today? And the first one is, is that Jesus is the light of the world. He is a light that draws me. If you want to write a different word in from draws me, you can. And, and another word that I like is that he orients me, orientates. I'm not sure exactly how that, the word is used, but, but, but I'll look, two, two ways, a number of different things as we look at this truth. 
First of all, what I want you to think of with Jesus as the light of the world, I want you to think of Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you. And, and they leave the light on for you. What that reminds me is uh, at times maybe when I was in college and I would go out and I would be out later than my parents would stay up. And the, the light was on. And I do the same thing when I know my children are, are, are out and they're going to be out later than I'm up. And that is to have that light on. So as they come home, it's, there's just something about having the lights on that says you're expected. Uh, that this is home. Now you're home. Now is the safe place where you can come and stay. That Jesus is that same light that, that says there's a place here for you. Come. This is where you need to come. Come to the light. But it's also, when I think of this as Jesus is the light of the world, I think of those who are on the ocean and only have the stars as a a way to to find out where they're at. And and that's where you get this, that he orients us, that he, he faces the needles of our heart to true north, to him. That, that that is the place where we start. That, that that is where there is love. That is where there is forgiveness. That is where I am going. And as long as I chart my path towards him, I'm going to be fine. Makes me think of the wise men. After Jesus was born, the star appears in the sky. And they knew that as long as they followed that star, they were going to be fine. And it would lead them to the, to the king of the Jews, which it did. It led them to Jesus, and it does for us as well. The second part, then, is he is the light that guides me. And that is where he's a, a, a light for my feet and a lamp for my, a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. That as we go, uh, that, that for any situation in life, that as we have God's word there, as we have a, our Bibles or our phone app or whatever it happens to be, that we turn to him and he, he helps us see clearly as we face issues in our life that are difficult. So that's who Jesus is. And, and as a result of that, who am I? What is my identity? I am assured of my relationship with the Father. In him was life. And that life was the light of man. That is the light. The light that through Jesus suffering and death on the cross, through his payment for sin, you have a place with the Father. Again, Jonathan shared with you from 1 John 2 some of my favorite words. You know, I write this so that you don't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have someone who speaks to the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice not only for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That assurance that Jesus is the light. The next one is that, that who am I? I will walk in the light. I will live in repentance, confessing my sins and enjoying Christ's forgiveness. That that's where I walk. I walk in the light of his word. What he says is right. What he says is wrong. That he guides me. That every step I take uh, is one that's going to be dictated to me by my I'm my Jesus, who is my light. The next one, I see clearly. I see clearly because when the light on, I already used the example of of when I, especially when I don't have my glasses on, that extra light helps me see. And so let the light shine. The problems in your life, is God shining on them? Are you listening to what he has to say? Do you go to his word and let him shine on your issues? 
And then finally, Jesus makes me a light to others. That as you follow Jesus, as you reflect the light that he has given you, as you live like you know you have the light, as you live in Christ's light, it's only natural that people are going to see and notice and question and sometimes follow. This is what it means to have a bulletproof identity, and this is just a part of it. These I am statements of Jesus, I am the light that comes down from heaven. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that that you are a light. And, And one of the things that we ask you throughout the week is help us as we see darkness and light in our lives to to notice those things and and then to to see how they apply to us and then apply to you as the light and and the the struggle we are in with darkness. And so, Lord, first of all, we ask that you shine, that that you would give us direction, that, that you would help us come towards you. And then, Lord, help us be the light as we look at issues that we are facing in our lives where we maybe don't know what we want to do, that at times when we're searching, uh, we're searching because we're lonely or we're searching because we're hurt or we're searching for whatever reason it might be, help us to always make our search in the light, in the light of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he has given us and, and the fact that we are, have our identity with him as, our, as a child of God. So, Lord, we thank you for that, and we ask you to be with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. What a great message then with light of the world, you shine upon us. And Jesus definitely does. So, so go with him as the light of the world, as the light of your life, and go with his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Uh, if there's anyone uh, here who has a special prayer request that they would like to pray with someone after the service, there is a, a prayer team that will pray with you. You can just stay in your seats, and uh, we will meet you all on the patio. Have a great day.